Thanks for downloading or purchasing this sermon from Christchurch Forward. To find out more, visit forwardchurch.co.uk or join us on Sundays. Therefore, we do not lose heart. Though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. Now we know that if the earthly tent we live in is destroyed, we have a building from God, an eternal house in heaven, not built by human hands. Meanwhile, we groan, longing to be clothed with our heavenly dwelling, because when we are clothed, we will not be found naked. For while we are in this tent, we groan and are burdened, because we do not wish to be unclothed, but to be clothed with our heavenly dwelling, so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. Now it is God who has made us for this very purpose, and has given us the Spirit as a deposit, guaranteeing what is to come. Therefore, we are always confident and know that as long as we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord. We live by faith, not by sight. We are confident, I say, and would prefer to be away from the body and at home with the Lord. So we make it our goal to please him, whether we are at home in the body or away from it. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive what is due to him for the things done while in this body, whether good or bad. Heidi, thank you very much for for reading that passage. Do do keep that open in front of you. Uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, page 1160. Thank you for, for giving me and my family such a warm welcome today. It's been lovely to spend the day with you and uh, to partner in the gospel with you. Um, Why don't I lead us in a prayer before we uh, look at this passage. Heavenly Father, we praise you that you are a speaking God. Thank you that you speak clearly to us through the words of the Bible by your Spirit. And whether we've been following you for decades or are very new to Christian things, we ask that you'd help us to listen to you this evening and to trust you for Jesus' sake. Amen. How's your, how's your confidence at the moment? Would you say that you're a confident person, naturally? Would you say that um, you're feeling confident in life at the moment? As you think about the future, do you feel assured? As you think about your health, do you feel confident? Uh, when it comes to things like standing up for what you believe in, are you the kind of person for whom that comes easily? Do you feel unruffled? Do you feel self-possessed? When it comes to, to sharing your opinions with other people, do you find that easy? You know, in conversations or uh, in meetings where that is the thing that you have to do, uh, do you find that a stress or do you find that a walk in the park? How confident are you? 
How confident are you about talking about what you believe, about life, about religion? How easy do you find that? Of course, there's lots in life that dents our confidence. Uh, Poor health, difficult relationships, disappointments at work or at school, wider events in our society. We've already been thinking about this horrible string of tragedies that our, our country has faced over the, uh, the last few weeks. The, uh, the Manchester Arena bombing, the, the stabbing, uh, the, um, the Grenfell Tower fire. And these things remind us of our frailty, don't they? We're vulnerable, we're, we're mortal. They damage our confidence. They leave us thinking, is it possible to be confident in life? Well, the passage that we're going to look at tonight shows us that we can have great confidence, even though we're frail, even though life has many troubles. We're working our way through the book of 2 Corinthians. The Apostle Paul is describing true Christian ministry and true discipleship, and it's not showy, he says. It's not flashy, it's not glitzy. No, we're jars of clay. There's treasure inside of us, the treasure of the gospel, but we're frail jars of clay. But we can have great confidence, Paul says. Just look down at chapter 4, verse 16. Paul says, we do not lose heart. And look at chapter 5, verse 6. Therefore, we are always confident. Paul says, let's be confident. Uh, Up on screen. It's the first thing he says in our passage this evening. Let's be confident, and he gives us two reasons. And let's look at each of them in turn. So let's be confident. Here's the first reason. Eternal glory is coming. Eternal glory is coming. And we're looking at chapter 4, verses 16 to 18. Let me read verse 16. Paul says, Therefore we do not lose hearts, though outwardly we're wasting away, Yet inwardly, we're being renewed day by day. You see, a Christian is a member of this age and at the same time is a member of the age to come. And so outwardly, as Christians, we're wasting away. We get ill, we grow old, we die. We're members of this age. But inwardly, we're being renewed day by day, being made ready for that future with God. Verse 17, for our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. There is eternal glory to come. That word glory comes from uh, passages in the Old Testament where God appears in shining light, brilliant light, in glory. And I wonder what comes into your mind when you think about glory. Makes me think of a holiday that um, Amy and I had a few years ago in Switzerland. Um, I have an uncle who owns a a chalet in Switzerland. It's the kind of uncle that you want to have. And uh, we stayed in his chalet. And when we'd wake up in the morning, we'd open the shutters And the view out of the window was just this picture postcard view, the great mountains, uh, the lights glinting off the mountains, a great green forest, beautiful little Swiss houses. It was glorious. But Paul would say, you haven't seen anything yet. 
In fact, Paul says the eternal weight of glory to come even makes our troubles now light and momentary. It's an extraordinary statement. I mean, Paul suffered. Paul suffered for the gospel. Just read the book of Acts. But he looks at our trouble for serving Jesus. It's like he looks at it in one hand, and he looks at eternity in the other hand, and he compares them, and he compares their weight, and he compares their duration. He compares their weight. He says, verse 17, our troubles are light, but the glory will far outweigh them all. Our troubles here, it's just like a few feathers. Imagine a few feathers in my hand, whereas the glory is like a gold bar weighing down in the other hand. And he says our troubles are momentary. Imagine just blowing the feathers away, they're gone. But the glory, the glory will last. It'll last forever. Everlasting glory, endless satisfaction, endless joy as we live with our God forever. And those troubles aren't meaningless. They have a purpose. It says they're achieving for us this eternal glory meaning somehow God is working through our hardships to bring us to glory. There is glory to come. But you reply, but you don't know what it's like. You don't know how difficult it's been for me to try to explain to my parents that I've become a Christian. But you don't know what it's like, you say. You don't know how nervous I feel When I think about inviting that colleague to the guest service here at church, you don't know what it's like. Well, Paul would say that trouble is real. That suffering is real, it is. But the sheer weight and the reality of the glory to come, it puts those things in perspective. Paul says, have confidence. Fix your eyes on the glory to come. Have confidence, eternal glory is coming. Here's the second reason to have confidence. Your resurrection body is coming. Your resurrection body is coming. And we're looking at chapter five, verses one to five. Let me read from verse one. Paul says, now we know that if the earthly tent we live in is destroyed, we have a building from God, an eternal house in heaven, not built by human hands. Now, Paul is using, he's using picture language here. The tent means the human body, and the building means the resurrection body to come, that perfect, immortal body that God will give every believer when Jesus comes back. The tent is the body, and the building is the resurrection body to come. It's picture language. Now, some of you, I imagine, uh, really enjoy camping, In my opinion, camping is okay as long as it's not raining and it's not cold. You know, today, for example, great day, great weekend to go camping. Camping's okay, but basically it's better to live in a house, isn't it? It's better to live in a house. You want a solid roof. You want some central heating when you need it. You want a toilet. You want a shower, a sofa, a fridge, a TV. These are the kind of things you want. At least they're the things I want. And Paul says exactly. And it's the same with your body. Your frail body now is okay, but what you really want is that glorious resurrection body to come. So verse two, meanwhile in this life we groan, longing to be clothed with our heavenly dwelling. 
Because when we're clothed, we won't be found naked. For while we're in this tent, we groan and are burdened because we don't wish to be unclothed, but to be clothed with our heavenly dwelling so that what is mortal may be swallowed up in life. Now back then, in the uh, surrounding culture, many people, when they thought about uh, the afterlife, they thought about the soul being set free from the body. And they'd think, at last, you know, the soul has been set free from this cage. Now it is true that every believer who dies before Jesus comes back, their soul will go to be in heaven and their body will be buried here on earth. That's true. But, says Paul, there's something better to look forward to than that. There's the resurrection body. There's being clothed with immortality. There's being swallowed up by life. You see, the Christian hope is not something vague and floaty and cloudy. It's not, it's not the afterlife when the afterlife is a bit like afterthoughts. You know, it's not, um, not going to be an endless choir practice in 90s. The, uh, the Christian hope is physical. The Christian hope is solid and real and glorious. The Christian hope is an immortal body in a new heaven and a new earth that's been scrubbed clean of all sin and suffering. I mean, just from, imagine for a moment your body to come. No aches and pains, no gray hairs, no wrinkles, no scars, no disabilities. And instead, a flawless, strong, immortal body. A body fit for the kingdom of God. A body fit for a child of God. As the Lord Jesus says in Matthew chapter 13, then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father. Paul says our resurrection bodies are coming. It's part of salvation. It's part of the free gift that Jesus gives to anyone who trusts in him and turns to him as Lord. Verse five, Paul says, now it's God who has made us for this very purpose and has given us the spirit as a deposit guaranteeing what's to come. If you've ever groaned, if you've ever longed for your resurrection body to come, that is evidence of the Holy Spirit working in you and that is a guarantee that the full experience is coming because he's the deposit. Isn't that wonderful news? Our resurrection bodies are coming. Now, a few years ago, when I was in my uh, mid-twenties, I, um, I went away uh, for the weekend with some friends and um, got a lift in their car. And uh, their car was on its last legs. It was an old red Toyota Corolla. And um, it was heading for the scrap heap. The, the engine would roar, but it couldn't get above 40 miles an hour. We were living in London at the time. And um, as we approached the M25 motorway, we had to drop into first gear, and uh, there was this, this big line of traffic behind us. My friend James said, look, I don't think we're going to make it. Um, let's call my parents and see if we can borrow one of their cars. Now, it turned out that James's parents lived pretty close, that they were quite wealthy, and uh, after about half an hour trundling along in this dying Toyota Corolla, we turned into this big house and uh, we traded this uh, crumbling Toyota Corolla for a dark green Jaguar XJ, and we just cruised 
we cruised the, way, the rest of the way and arrived in some style. It was brilliant. And it's like that with our bodies. Our bodies are aging, they're decaying, they're dying. But if we're trusting Jesus, our resurrection bodies are coming. And Paul says, be confident. Be confident about the truth of that. And be confident in serving Jesus when it's tough. And it is tough at times, isn't it? I saw two friends on Wednesday, both of them are ministers. Uh, One of them goes out to Delhi in India every year. He goes out there to help um, train preachers. And it's no joke preaching the gospel in some parts of India. Some of the men that uh, my friend has contact with are encouraged to always leave a packed bag by their back door so that when people burst in through the front door to come and get them, they just rush to the back door, grab the bag and go. It's no joke. Now, it's not like that here in this country, but it is hard at times, isn't it? So I have a, a friend in my current church in Cambridge. Um, he's a great guy. He has good friendships with non-Christians. He wants to share the gospel with them. And um, earlier this week, he made some comments on Facebook about his faith, wanting to share his faith with them. And on Thursday, one of his friends, who's not a Christian, unfriended him in one of those kind of big, quite unpleasant ways. And it's just hard for him. I wonder if that's ever happened to you or someone that you know. Well, when we suffer for serving Jesus, Paul says, let's be confident anyway because the resurrection and eternal glory are coming. And I wonder if you believe that this evening. Well, let's turn now to the final verses and see how Paul finishes Paul says, let's please the Lord. I'm looking at verses 6 to 10 of chapter 5. Let's please the Lord now. Just look down at verse 9. Paul says, we make it our goal to please him. That's what the Christian life is all about. Let me read from the the start of that paragraph, verse 6. He says, therefore we are always confident and know that as long as we're at home in the body, we're away from the Lord. Paul knows that before we die, or before Jesus comes back, we're away from Jesus physically. Of course, we're with him spiritually, by his spirit, but we're away from him physically. We live by faith, not by sight, verse 7. And verse 8, we want to be with him. We're confident, I say, and we prefer to be away from the body and at home with the Lord. We want to be with him. The Christian life is all about him. It's all about a relationship with him. So what's my goal as a Christian, whether I'm alive on earth or whether I'm a soul in heaven before Jesus comes back, what's my goal? Well, verse nine, we make it our goal to please him. We make it our goal to please him. Just think about that for a moment because they are wonderful words. It means that you are able and you do please Jesus in the way that you live. When the Messiah himself looks at you, he frequently feels pleasure and joy and pride at your efforts to trust him and live for him. It's a wonderful verse. We get to please the Lord. 
And it's important we please him because our lives matter very much. Just look at verse 10. Paul says, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive what is due to him for the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. Now, Paul is speaking to believers here, and he's saying that as believers, we will all be judged by Christ. Now, perhaps this is a truth that we don't often think about. But don't, don't mishear, Paul. We're saved by trusting the Lord Jesus alone. You know, we don't gain eternal life by clocking up brownie points. We don't try and earn air miles to get to glory. We're saved by trusting Jesus alone. But how we live as believers will be assessed. Romans 14 says the same thing. It says, each of us will give an account of ourselves to God and uh, speaking about Christians. Now there is a sobering side to that. It means, verse 10, that the bad we've done will be criticized and disciplined on judgment day. And verse 11, Paul says, since we know what it is to fear the Lord, we try to serve him now and persuade others about the gospel. Uh, there is a sobering side to that judgment. There is also a wonderful side. There's also a wonderful side because the good that we've done will be praised and rewarded. Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 4 up on screen, he says, wait until the Lord comes. At that time, each will receive their praise from God. There'll be praise and commendation and reward on that day. Our great king and saviour and brother, the Lord Jesus, will sit down with us and he will talk with us about our life. And all of that means, of course, that we should get on and please him now. We should please him now. There's a true story uh, from Japan about a dog called Hashiko. Hashiko used to meet his owner every day when his owner finished work and got off the train, they would hash, there's Hashiko, he would be there at the train station waiting. Every day at the same time, the man would get off the train, and every day at the same time, Hashiko's dog would be there waiting for him. Every day, day by day, until eventually the owner died. But the day after, nonetheless, Hashiko was there. And amazingly, the day after Hashiko was there, and the day after that, and after that, if I tell you how long it went on, you wouldn't believe me, Hashiko was there every day for nine years, until eventually Hashiko himself died. And the local people made a statue of him. And if you go to the train station in Japan, to Shibuya train station, you will see the statue commemorating his loyalty. I mean, you hear a story like that, and you think, who would ever get a cat? Well, we are to live lives of loyalty to the Lord Jesus. We're to serve the Lord Jesus. We're to please him with this brief life that he has given us. We're to make it our goal to please him. Now, if you're here this evening and you uh, wouldn't say that you're a convinced Christian, the Lord Jesus invites you to join him. Don't meet him as your opponent's on that judgment day. 
But turn to him now, be reconciled to him now. If you come to him for forgiveness and for his loving rule, he will welcome you with open arms. I do hope you want to find out more about that. And to those of us who are Christians, let's please Jesus now. This life is brief, it passes quickly. And on a day like this when Christchurch is launching this church plant, I think there are two healthy options for us. Do we stay and please Jesus? Or do we go and please Jesus? And both are wonderful options. And for most of you, the answer will be, let's stay and let's please Jesus. And as you stay, this could be a great moment to think about how you're serving. It might be that you're overdoing it. Some of us do at times, don't we? Uh, It pleases Jesus to serve sustainably. Or maybe you've never had a role here at Christchurch. And uh, you think, I'd love to be more involved There are a dozen ways that you could do that. Do chat to to Paul or to Pete uh, or Rebecca or another staff member. They would love to talk with you. But for some of us, I take it, as you think and pray, there might be a growing sense that St. Mary's Doncaster is where the Lord would have you serve him, that you would please him more there. And as you think and pray, as you talk with people, there might be a growing sense that the harvest field in Doncaster is plentiful, but the workers are few, but that you could be one of them. A growing sense over weeks and months that the Lord has so ordered your circumstances at this point in life that joining the graft could be what he intends for you. I wonder... I'd love you to pray about it. Two wonderful options. Do we stay and serve or do we go and serve? Both are costly and uh, particularly if you go, I think. But doesn't this passage give us confidence? This passage gives us confidence. There is an eternal weight of glory to come. There is an everlasting resurrection body to come. This life is brief But with it, we can please the Lord before we meet him face to face. So stay and serve or go and serve. Two wonderful options. And in all of this, we look to him. We look to Jesus. We look to the one who ultimately came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. The whole Christian life is built on him serving us And that's what we're going to remember in a few minutes as we take communion together. So as we finish, let's fix our eyes on him and let me close in a brief prayer. Lord Jesus, we praise you for all that you give us for forgiveness, for eternal glory, for resurrection. And we pray that you'd keep our eyes fixed on you and that you keep us pleasing you. Amen.